Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. This is, a, this is a message that, yes, I have studied for, but also it's just a message that God has given me. This is part of my story. This is a message that is coming from the inside of me out right now. It didn't have to be something that I, that I necessarily put together because I learned from all these other people. This is just a message that God has given me to share today. This is part of my experience and my story. And so we're gonna be learning from Nehemiah today, Nehemiah chapter eight. And if you're not familiar with this story, the story, the, the context of this story, Nehemiah was the, he was the shortest man in the Bible. We know that because he was knee high. Maya, that, that was for Mark, that was, that's a joke just for Mark right there. I don't care if you found that one funny, that one was just for you. But I got like three more jokes today, you better laugh at all of them. But the, the context for this, for this portion of scripture is that the Israelites, God's chosen people, they have, they have been doing all kinds of things wrong. They haven't been listening to God. They haven't been acting in the way that God has told them to act. And so God has allowed the Babylonians to come and take the Israelites, the people of Judah, and take them from Jerusalem. And he's taken them into exile in a place called Babylon. And so for 70 years, this is where these people have been. And then Nehemiah rises up and Nehemiah becomes a cupbearer to the king of Babylon. And then he says, hey, it would be really cool if we could go back and we could rebuild the temple, if we could rebuild the walls, if we could start rebuilding Jerusalem. And so then the king of Babylon says, sure, you can go back and you can take some of your people back. And this is where we pick up the scripture here in Nehemiah chapter eight. Verse nine, and it reads like this. It says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy. How many know we're in a holy day today? This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for, the Lord, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. That's because Ezra started reading the scripture that they had at the time, and all the people started to be reminded of the fact that they hadn't lived right. They started weeping because they realized that they had separated themselves from from their God, so they started weeping. But then Nehemiah says to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy. It's holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I dare you to tell somebody today, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Tell the nearest three people closest to you, tell them the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Go ahead and claim it for yourself. Say the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Say it with some conviction today. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You might be feeling weak today, but the joy of the Lord is your strength, amen? Amen, go ahead and grab your seats right where you are here today. The joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I feel like I'm gonna preach myself happy today. How many know that, that a depressed world need a joy-filled church, right? 
You can't help but listen to conversations from your neighborhood or in your workplace or turn on the news and realize that we are living in a depressed world, a world that is filled with anxiety, a, filled, a world that is filled with a lack of hope, a world that is filled with fear. But the world doesn't need a church that is filled with fear. The world needs a church that is filled with joy, a church that is filled with hope, a, a church that is filled with love, amen? And the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is, is something that is, it's kinda like happiness, but it's not exactly happiness. Joy is kinda like gladness, but it's not exactly gladness. Jo there, there's a nuance between these kind of things. And if you let me, I'll just, I'll, I'll explain this to you right here. Joy is different from gladness and happiness because happiness is your emotional response to something that has happened to you. Your happiness is determined by the things that have gone on in your life. If something good happens to you, then you are happy. If something bad happens to you, then you are unhappy. It is your emotional response to what has happened to you, the situations and the circumstance and the environments and the relationships that we have. Your happiness is found in your emotional response to whatever it is that is happening to you. But joy is not that. Joy is something that is deeper. My joy is not found in what has happened to me. My joy is not my emotional response to the things that have happened to me. My joy is found in whose I am. My joy is my definitive state. My joy is my choice that I have made today. It is my state of being. It is not found in an emotional response to what has happened to me, like happiness. My joy is found in God and God alone there is a slight difference between joy and happiness and the joy of the lord is my strength this is the choice that i make i choose to be joy filled why am i still married after 10 years not because i feel like it every single day some days i don't feel like being married on friday i didn't feel like being married when meredith kept no i'm just playing i love i love my wife but i don't always feel like being married how many are married that know that you don't always wake up feeling like being married, right? I know you're sitting next to your spouse and you might not wanna raise your hand because you don't wanna tell on yourself, right? I know that. I don't always feel like being married. But 10 years ago, when I stood across my wife at our wedding day, I told her that I choose her and that I was going to continue choosing her every single day that, I, that God gives me, I choose my wife, and when I told her parents sometime before then that I wanted to marry her, I said, look, I, I can guarantee you that I will choose her every single day. Life is really a collection of memories and choices that we make, and so I choose my wife. Your joy is found in the choice that you make, how you choose to respond to the situation that you find yourself in. There's a difference between joy and, and happiness. And, and I remember first being explained this by some mean old lady in the church that I grew up in. And, and I remember that I was speaking to a friend of mine and they asked me how I was doing at the moment and it was just a really good season of life for me. And so I said to my friend, man, I'm doing so well. I'm just filled with so much joy. I'm so happy. I'm so glad with how everything that's going on. And this mean old lady overhears the conversation, walks across the room and then corrects me in saying, you shouldn't use those words synonymously. 
She said, I just wanna tell you that you're wrong in how you're using those words because you're using them interchangeably and those words are not the same thing. And how many know that you can be right in how you're saying something, but how you're saying something is wrong. Like you can be right in, in what you're saying, but it's the, it's the tone that you have in how you're saying something, right? And that was this lady, that was this conversation. And so she says to me that you cannot use happiness and joy like they're interchangeable, like they are not the exact same thing. And, and my response in my head to this lady was, you might be right in saying that, but I can tell by the fact that you have said it just like you've said it, that you don't know anything about joy and happiness, and it's been a long time since you've felt either of those two things. So how are you gonna correct me on using the words joy and happy, right? Because it's the tone, it's the way that we say the things that we say. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And joy, joy comes from God, but it is not a gift of God. When we read through scripture, we learn that joy is not a gift that God gives. I taught about this last year, that joy is part of the fruit of the spirit that grows on the inside of us. That when you receive salvation, that the Holy Spirit enters into you, and then you receive the fruit of the spirit. And what do we know about fruit? It grows. It grows when it is cultivated. It grows over time. And so yes, God has given you the fruit of the Spirit, but it grows on the inside of you. And what that means is that if you are here today, if you're listening today and you're not feeling joy, I have good news for you. If you have received salvation, if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have joy on the inside of you. You might not feel it, but it is on the inside of you in seed form. And how many know that when you have something on the inside of you in seed form, it's just a matter of time until you start to grow that thing. And so today we're getting ready to talk about how you can grow joy on the inside of you because this is not a gift that you are given. This is not just something that God says, here is a whole lot of joy for you and here's a whole lot of joy for you, but that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and a whole bunch of other things. Joy grows because it's a fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is such an important topic because the degree to which you are able to experience life with is determined by the amount of joy that you have on the inside of you. How successful you are in life is often determined by the amount of joy to which you approach a situation with. What we have learned and when we meet with couples, when we counsel couples that come in for marital counseling is that if a couple is still able to laugh together, then they have a pretty good chance of still making it. What we have learned is that when couples sit in counseling and they have lost the ability to laugh, that tells us that they have waited too long to come in for assistance. That tells us that they have waited too long to come in for counseling and they have lost the ability to laugh together. And so that tells us that they probably are not going to make it because joy is no longer at the foundation of their relationship. And we know that it's true for relationships. We know that it's true for our psychology. We know that, that joy is important and foundational and fundamental to how we experience life. Joy is significant even on your body. 
I don't know if you know this, but if you are a joy-filled person, your body is more healthy. That when you are able to experience joy, your body heals itself. What we have learned, this is true not just because the Bible tells us that it's true, this is not just true because of your experience, but science tells us, medicine tells us that if you are able to laugh, then it relieves stress. If you're able to laugh, then it relieves burdens. If you're able to laugh, then it releases the right kind of hormones and the right kind of endorphins, and, and it releases all kinds of good things for your body to start healing itself. It, it's even good for your muscles. How many, how many know that when you start laughing, your stomach starts to hurt because it's a workout? Some of you could do with a little bit more working out, but maybe you should just be laughing more often because it's a good workout for your body, right? And what's wild is that your body doesn't even know whether you are laughing for real or whether you are laughing for fake. Doesn't even know the difference. And so, so this might sound crazy, this might sound kind of foolish, but what I do is because I know that my body is going to respond well, I know that it's good for my soul when I start laughing, even if I don't feel like laughing. I start walking around my house. <laughs> I don't even feel like laughing, but if I do it for long enough, I start laughing for real. And if you start walking around your house and you start laughing for fake, I promise you that it is contagious. I, I dare you right now to start looking at the person nearest you and start fake laughing right now. <laughs> if you start looking at them, it is contagious. And if you do it for long enough, you're gonna start laughing for real right now. I promise you. I promise you. Your body doesn't know the difference. Laughter is good for you. It is good for your soul. Do it around your house when you're by yourself. Do it around your house when you got other people. Do it when you're walking down the street and you feel heavy. Laugh. Sometimes when I feel like I, some people are still laughing. I, I do it when I look at myself in the mirror, when I feel like I'm taking myself too seriously, I start laughing at myself. I start laughing because it's good for your soul. It's good for your body, it's good for your emotions, it's good for your psychology. Laughter is a good, good medicine. And, and the Bible says that, that laughter is a good medicine. We know that that's true. Laughter is good for us. We know it's true because of how good we feel when we laugh. When I, when I am laughing, when I am filled with joy, that's often in seasons when I am closest to Jesus. When my attention is on God, that's when I feel the most joy. When there is distance in my relationship with God, that's when I feel the least amount of joy. That's when I feel the least amount of his presence. And that's why sometimes the people that you meet in life that lack the most joy are the furthest from God. Because scripture tells us that God sits in heaven and he laughs. He laughs. God laughs. I don't know if you've read that scripture that God laughs in heaven. And if God does it, then we should do it. 
And for some of us, it's been far too long since you last laughed. It's been too long since you last laughed in church. It's been too long since you last laughed in your home. It's been too long since you last laughed in your workplace, around your family. It's, it's too long since you last laughed. And if God is able to laugh, then we should be able to laugh. If God is filled with joy, then we should be filled with joy, right? It is so important because God laughs. And if God laughs, then we should laugh. But you know who doesn't laugh? The devil. The devil doesn't laugh. I know that you might watch all kinds of spooky, scary movies where the devil is laughing, right? But there's no evidence in scripture that the devil laughs. I've read it, I've looked through it, Nowhere does it say that the devil laughs. I'm not building a theology or a doctrine that says that the enemy cannot laugh. I'm just saying that there's no evidence that he does. And if he does, he's not laughing with joy because he's not filled with the Holy Spirit like we are, right? He's not laughing with, with joy in the same kind of way that we are able to laugh. And you know why the enemy doesn't laugh? Because he knows what's coming for him, right? And all the enemy is able to do is to fill you with fear. All the, the enemy has been stripped of authority. And, and we don't talk about the devil much in church. We don't talk about the devil too much in this church, not because we are afraid of him, not because we are fearful of him, but because he's not that big a deal. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of the enemy, right? And so you know what I do? You know what I do when the enemy starts reminding me of my past? I remind him of his future. I know that the scripture tells me that every knee will bow. Not just my knee, not just your knee, that every knee is going to bow. That includes the enemy. The enemy's knee is gonna bow to Jesus when he returns. And so when the enemy comes against you and starts reminding you of you, the things that you don't have, the enemy wants to remind you of, he, he, he wants to make threats against you. He doesn't have any real authority. He wants to remind you of the things that you don't have. He wants to tell you that, you that you don't have enough money. He wants to tell you that you don't have enough smarts. He wants to tell you that you don't have enough influence. He wants to tell you that you don't have enough friends. He wants to tell you the things that you think that you don't have, right? He wants to tell you that you aren't gonna be healed. And when, when I'm struggling with sickness, when I'm struggling with pain, and, the, and I hear the enemy say that you're not gonna get your healing, I tell him I don't need to get my healing, I already got my healing 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross for me and he bought my sickness and he bought my health and he took that upon himself and he provided for me freedom that I couldn't earn for myself. I don't need to get it, I already got it. You don't need to get it, you already got it. He already paid the price for you. When he went to the cross and he went into the grave and he has no rival and he rose again and he ascended back into heaven, that's the God that we serve. You don't need to get it, you already got it. And whether you experience it on this, time, this side of eternity or the other side of eternity, healing is yours. Freedom is yours. And the enemy wants to make all kinds of threats against you. The enemy wants to tell you that you are not enough. He's a liar. He wants to threaten you, but you know what he tells me when, when I've got back problems? You know, you know what, when I'm, when I'm walking around my house and I feel like I've got knee issues or back issues and I just start laughing at the enemy. 
I just tell him, I just, I'm like, is, is that the worst that you can do? Is that the best that you got? Is, is that honestly the best that you can do? Tell him. Tell him, next time you experience some kind of infirmity in your body, some kind of frustration in your life, some kind of setback in your life, laugh at the enemy. Laugh at the enemy because that tells him that you know where your joy comes from. That your joy is not found in the situation that you find yourself in. Your joy is not found in how good your body is acting right now, but your joy is found in God and God alone. And I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize the sickness and the pain and the hurt that we have in life. I'm not trying to minimize that. But I know that every Sunday we come in here and we sing about and we preach about the goodness of God. And we talk about how he has no rival. And we talk about how he has no equal. We sung about it earlier. He has no rival and he has no equal. There is none like him. He is the uncreated one. He is above everything. The name of Jesus is above all. We sing about it. We preach about it. We pray about it. We talk about it. And we are reminded every single week that the enemy is down here, that the keys of his authority have been stripped from him. But then we leave this place, we leave these moments, and we begin to forget about the authority of God, and we begin to forget and get confused about the authority of the enemy until we start to think that God has an equal. And I just wanna remind someone today that God has no equal that Jesus has no one like him, that he is the only uncreated one, that he is the El Shaddai, that he is the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And when I think of him, I am filled with joy because we have already won. And you might not feel like laughing at the enemy today. You might not feel like you're filled with joy today, but I just wish that we could take like 10 seconds right now and praise God for everything that he has done in our life. If we could just lift up the mighty name of Jesus, a name who is wonderful, a name that is powerful. God, you are awesome. God, there is none like you. You are above only. You have given us the keys to the kingdom. Hallelujah, God, you are holy and set apart. There is none like you, God. We worship you, we worship you, we worship you, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The, the devil is terrified of a church that will worship. The devil is terrified of a church that is filled with praise. The devil is terrified of a church that is filled with joy. The devil is terrified of you. You are a worshiper. You, even in the middle of your sickness, even in the middle of your pain, we worship, we worship, we worship. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy are you, God. Holy, holy, holy are you, God. Holy, holy. What? What I do know, what I do know is that the louder that the enemy is in your ear, that means that he is more nervous than he ever has been about what is getting ready to happen for you, for what is getting ready to happen to him. And so if the enemy is loud in your ear right now, that's because breakthrough is on the way. That's because healing is on the way. That's because deliverance is on the way. Freedom is on the way. If the enemy is attacking you, it's because he knows what is getting ready to happen. 
Praise Jesus. Praise you, God. Healing is on the way. Freedom is on the way. Hallelujah. 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 Morning. Morning might have endured last night, but joy is coming this morning. Joy is coming this morning. Restoration is coming for somebody today. Healing is coming for somebody today. As you worship God, it is doing something to your soul. It is doing something to the inside of you today. Hallelujah. 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 The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Hallelujah. What I have found in life is that it is often the people that have the least material stuff that are filled with the most joy. I have traveled all over the world. I have spent time in orphanages in South America. I have spent time in slums in India and Africa. I have spent time in disaster zones all over the world. And I'm telling you that the people that are filled with the most joy are the people that have the least stuff. Yet Western culture tells us that we will only find happiness, we will only find joy when we accumulate more and more stuff, that our joy is found in the stuff that we have, our joy is found in the circumstance that we find ourselves in, in the situation that we find ourselves in. But your joy is not found in those things. Your joy is not found in what is going on in your life. Your joy is not found in your ability to make ends meet and pay that bill. Your joy is not found in the relationships that you have. Your joy is not found in those things. Our joy is found in God and God alone because he bought, he bought your joy 2,000 years ago and he paid for it with a sacrifice so that you can experience joy today. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how good your life is or how bad your life is. Joy is available to you. Choose joy. Choose joy. The people that have the least are often the ones that have the most joy. And what that tells me is that you cannot give me my joy. You can't give me things to build joy on the inside of me. And if you can't give me my joy, then you can't take my joy from me. You can't take my joy. There's nothing that the enemy can do that will steal my joy. I dare you to tell somebody right now, you can't take my joy. You can't take my joy. You can't have it. You can't have it. The enemy's gonna try and take it, but he can't have my joy. You gotta guard it. You gotta protect your joy. And the enemy is gonna try and take your joy. How many know that the enemy tries to take your joy? But he can't have it. He can't have it. You've got to guard that thing. You've got to protect that thing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The enemy can't have it. He's going to try and take it. Several years ago, I walked through the, the hardest season of my life. Meredith and I had just been installed into leadership here at the church. Actually, right here. There used to be some stairs right here. We were installed into leadership right here. And we were installed into leadership, and then the next year, the world turned upside down. And the pandemic hit, and everyone was just guessing about what we do and how we do it and how we should respond, and everyone starts looking 
to Meredith and I about how do we stand on vaccinations and how do we stand on masks and what should we do and what is appropriate and how do we feel and how do we lead and all of these kind of things. And what we found during that time was no matter what we said, everybody got upset. Everybody got upset. And then soon after then, George Floyd, the atrocity of George Floyd happened and then that caused racial conversations to surface in a way that we have never experienced before in our lifetime. And then everyone started asking questions about how do we feel about racial inequality and how do we feel about Black Lives Matter and how do we feel about addressing the issues that we are experiencing today in society and culture. And then what we found was no matter what we said, everybody got upset. And if you remember about that time, there's a whole lot of opposition going on. There's a whole lot of things stirring under the surface. There was a highly tense election that was on the way, and, and it didn't matter what you said, people got offended during that time, right? It was wild. We were diametrically opposed foes. I went to Hamilton last week, so I've got all the Hamilton lyrics going on through my head. But it was... It was a messy time because there was this animosity that existed between all of us. And then on top of all of that, we had an internal staffing issue that became an external public mess. And it was tough and it was painful. It was hard to walk through that. We cried a whole lot of tears during that time. It was stressful and painful and and there were times then I didn't want to keep on showing up, right? I lost a bunch of friends. I lost a lot of sleep. I lost a whole lot of weight. I, I gained a whole lot of gray hairs. That's why I keep my hair short on the side right now so you can't see none of the gray hairs that are coming through. But it was a, it was a tough, tough, painful season for us. And what I learned during that time was that while there might be a storm going on out there, we could not let the storm come in here. And Meredith and I had conversations all the time. Hey, everything might be swirling right now, but we cannot let the storm come in here. And so we had regular conversations with each other where we talked about, hey, we could lose everything, but as long as we still have each other, we're gonna be okay. As long as we still have our sanity and our faith, we're gonna be okay and we can lose the rest of it, but as long as we still have each other, as long as we don't allow the storm to come in here, then we're gonna be okay. And the enemy is full of threats. The enemy wants to make all kinds of threats against you. The enemy wants to tell you that you're never gonna make it. The enemy wants to tell you that you're never going to outlast the storm that you find yourself in. But if you can find your joy in the middle, that's what I learned during that season. I learned during that season how to stand when I felt like running. I learned how to stand with my hands raised when everything was falling around. I learned how to worship in the middle of my pain. I learned how to praise Him when I didn't feel like it. I learned how to make a joyful noise to the Lord. I, lear I learned more than ever in any season before in life, I learned that we battle not against flesh and blood. I learned that there is principalities and powers going on that we cannot see. And I, I learned all of those things. I learned how to stand and work. I, even though it was tough to show up to the office, 
I didn't feel like showing up to the office. Even, even, even if it was tough to show up on a Sunday morning, I learned how to preach the unwavering word of God in season and out of season because my joy is not found in what is happening to me. My joy is not found in the situation that I find myself in or, or what people are saying about me. My joy is found in God and God alone. And I want you to get that today, that your joy is found in God and God alone. And if you can get that conviction on the inside of you, that if you begin to understand that your joy is found not in your situation or your circumstance, not how good or how bad life is, if you can understand today that your joy is found in God, and if you're able to choose God in spite of your circumstance, everything's gonna be okay for you. Everything's gonna be okay. Because what, what I also learned during that time is that, that people move on real quick, right? right? People throw stones when they want to and then they move on real quick and everyone has a short-term memory, right? I learned that people move on real quick and, and you can be, everyone can move on and then you can be left dealing with the mess that has been created but everyone else has moved on. We know this when we look at disaster relief situations, whether a, a tsunami hits or an earthquake hits or fires or whatever that is, we know how important the first two week period is because that's when the media attention is on a situation and that's when the world's attention is on a situation and we know that's when people are most generous because they're going to give when the attention is on, a, on, on an experience, on an event, right? But then the media moves on and the attention moves on. The situation is not resolved. Everyone has moved on, but the people remain. The people are still stuck dealing with the mess and cleaning up everything that has been left from the disaster. And we know this is even true in regards to COVID. Largely, the conversation has moved on. We don't talk about COVID too much anymore, but we know that while everything has moved on, what we're starting to see is the underlying symptoms starting to surface. We know that people have been dealing with depression and anxiety and fear from being alone, from working from home all the time, from never being together, from being isolated and distanced from people. We know that our education system, studies are starting to come out that show that students are behind now more than ever before in math and English and all kinds of other things because we've had to work from home and be isolated from each other. And so the conversation has moved on, but the people have not. It can be tough when everything moves on past you, but you stay stuck in the mess and the situation that you find yourself in. And we also know that in, in counseling situations, when someone grieves the loss of a loved one, we know that it can be tough, it is tough when you lose someone initially, but often the most difficult time for somebody is not that initial period, it's the second year after that event has taken place. Because right after you lose someone, your community rallies around you and they begin to show support to you around the first birthday or around the first anniversary or around the first Christmas or whatever. You've got a community that rallies around you, but then everybody moves on. And now you're left to grieve by yourself for the very first time. It can be tough being in hard situations when everybody has moved on past you. And I want to look real quick at, at what James says about this. James, can we all stand? I'm getting ready to close. James, this, is, this is what James says about this. 
When I say I'm getting rid of the clothes, it means I've got like 10 minutes left, so stand if you're good for 10 minutes. This is James chapter one. This is what we do. It doesn't matter where you find yourself, this is what we do. James chapter one, verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Choose joy. It doesn't matter if you are in a hard time and you are surrounded by people, choose joy. It doesn't matter if you are in a hard time and you are by yourself because everybody else has moved on. Choose joy. Choose joy in the middle of the good times. Choose joy in the middle of the hard times. Laugh at the enemy. Choose joy. Like I said, our life is made up of the choices that we make. Choose joy. You might not always feel like showing up to work, but you choose to show up to work. You might not always feel like being a parent, but you, at least you should choose to always be a parent. You might not always feel like being married, but you choose to be married. Choose joy. Choose. Choose joy. Choose joy. Choose joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Choose joy. Even if you don't feel like it, your joy is found in God, not in this situation, not in this circumstance, not what the enemy has been doing, not what people have been saying about you, not in the fact that you have a job or don't have a job, not, not in how many zeros are in your bank account or, or, or how many uh, lack of zeros are in your bank account. Your joy is found in God and God alone. And, and what, I wanna, what I wanna pray for right now is that we would be a people that are able to choose joy no matter the situation and the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Because the, the world needs a body, the world needs a church that is filled with joy. And I know that the enemy is gonna come against you in different ways. If you've been around for long enough, you've seen that, you've experienced that, you know that, but you can still choose joy. And so I wanna pray for us today that we would find our joy again, that our joy would grow on the inside of us today. And this is not a salvation call. This is not for, for people to come home into right relationship with God. But if, if you feel like in this season you've been lacking joy, I wanna pray for you. If you, if you feel like you're only ever able to, to experience momentary happiness, I wanna pray for you. If you feel like you can get happy and smile for a moment when you're with your friends or when you're watching a movie and you can feel this momentary happiness, but then you retreat back to a time when you're lacking in joy. When you feel like you've lost the joy in your home, I wanna pray for you. And if you wanna experience joy in a way that you've never experienced it before, in a way that you never knew that it was possible today, I, want, I just wanna challenge you, I just wanna call you to raise your hand right now and say, 
I, I dare you, I dare you to raise your hand. If you, wanna, if you want God to do something on the inside of you today, to experience joy in a new kind of way, we're gonna pray together. God, I ask that you would do what only you are able to do in this place. God I, God, I thank you that we can find our strength in you. God, I thank you that we can find our hope in you. God, I thank you that we can find our restoration in you. God, I thank you that we don't need to find our joy in our situation. I, God, I thank you that we don't need to find our hope in our circumstance, but that we can find our hope in you. God, I thank you that you have planted joy on the inside of each one. I thank you that you have planted seeds of joy on the inside of all of your believers, God. But God, I ask that you would begin to stir joy in this place, that you would begin to grow joy in this place, that we would begin to experience a joy that we have never experienced before. God, I'm calling joy out of your believers. I'm asking that we would begin to laugh again, that we would begin to have hope again, that we would begin to find joy again in the simple things and in the big things, that we would find our joy in you and you alone, that we would find our joy in the hope that we have in you, that our eternity is secure, that our joy of the Lord is our strength.